Hello and welcome to the Stop Stressing Me Out podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and we've got kind of a unique episode today. We are pulling an episode from the vault, never been heard before, which is entirely my own fault for not having my SHIT together over the last few months. So uh, as some of you know, I have been back running my own business for almost a year now, which is incredibly exciting. But it does mean juggling a lot of stuff in the air. And uh, one thing that had shamefully fallen by the wayside was the podcast. But this episode is not only a From the Vault episode that was recorded last summer, but it is also one that's going to kick off next week. So next week, starting on February 7th, we are doing a 12-week series on workplace well-being. It's especially geared towards uh, leaders, folks in HR, folks who manage teams, whether formally or informally, and it's all about how we can better manage our well-being at work. Even if you're someone who is hoping to become a leader one day, I think you will get a lot out of this episode. Individual contributors as well, I think this is going to give you some really great ideas. To give you a little bit of a sense about what the season is going to look like, we're going to be kicking it off with, you know, quite a controversial episode of our workplace well-being programs, just a bunch of BS. We dive a little into the history of workplace well-being in that episode, and I think it'll shift your perspective on what these programs have traditionally been, what they can be in the future, and what they currently are stuck in at the moment. We're going to be talking about how you can build better relationships in the workplace through employee resource groups. We're going to be talking about how you can build psychological safety, how you can uh, use gratitude as a practice to really transform team engagement. We're going to be talking about employee stress leaves, part-time roles, employee giving and volunteer programs, how to increase retention, what is the reality of leadership training, uh, language around workplace well-being, how to ask better questions to make your workplace more psychologically safe. It is jam-packed with goodness, and I cannot express to you how excited I am. Uh, to share some of these interviews with you. We're already halfway through all the recordings to date. I've um, got some really incredible guests, and I think you're going to get so, so much out of this season ahead. So if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, make sure you hit subscribe right now so that you don't miss an episode next week. And if you have a fellow workplace leader, someone in HR, on a people team, etc., in your network that you're hoping, hey, we could be maybe doing a little bit better on our engagement and how we manage stress in the workplace, send them a link to the podcast because this is going to be a season that you do not want to miss. I have not been so excited for a season in such a long time and it's going to be absolute fire. Now, today's episode, From the Vault, we are going to be talking today with Sarah Elder Shamanara. Now, Sarah, I have followed for years since she started her business, Madam Premier. For those who are based in Calgary or Alberta, you've probably heard about Madam Premier and seen her t-shirts. Her designs are rooted in politics, community building, and feminism. She is all about championing women in politics, and she actually knows what it's like to be a woman working in politics. 
We talk a little bit about how Madam Premier came to be, how it actually was started as an unsuccessful fundraising pitch that led into the creation of this business that is not only about selling products, but it is about building a community, building awareness, educating, creating advocacy, uh, bringing people together who disagree. And that's really the focus of today's episode. One of the things, you know, we focus on what's stressing us out here on the Stop Stressing Us Out podcast. And one of the things that I think stresses so many of us out is politics. And not just politics, but how do we talk to people we disagree with? Um, You know, I can't tell you what a dumpster fire that social media can often feel like when we're trying to have these difficult conversations. And so that's exactly why I wanted to talk to Sarah. Sarah believes in educating yourselves on how other people think, actively going out and finding sources that are counter to what you believe to better understand where people are coming from. So in this episode, we talk not only about how uh, Sarah's business has grown, but particularly about how to have those difficult conversations, how to root uh, your conversations in empathy, where to go for reputable news sources, and I think how we can become more involved, more engaged citizens, especially for Canadians. At some point in the next year and a half, we're going to be going to the polls. For the Americans listening, I feel like you're almost always in an election cycle. You know, it just dominates the news and the media. So I can't think of a better time than ever to have these conversations, to learn how to talk to one another, to learn how to see another perspective so we can actually have meaningful, powerful conversations. So without further ado, let's head into the episode recognizing you're going to be hearing some commentary that happened about five or six months ago. So I thank Sarah so much for her patience and let's get into the episode. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I think like we said before, getting started with the podcast, just surviving the summer juggling of day camps and childcare and running a business. Yeah, it's this is my first summer with um school, well, one school um age child. So my kids are almost one is almost 6 uh, and one is 4 and so I, this is my first rocky introduction to parenting with my husband. Um you know, summer camp, the summer camp experience, the summer camp life. I'm really excited for September. Yeah. Well, and like the summer camp experience starts like, I don't know about you, but it started for us in like February or March where you have to do the planning and the spreadsheet Mm. and the like getting up at 6 a.m. in order to like get them scheduled and like in the rush of everybody else trying to schedule them. Well, and I will say, I mean, it's maybe a separate podcast to discuss, uh, you know, the, 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 the burden and the load of, of all of those kinds of, um, issues, but I'm actually, my husband took on registering them for, uh, camps. So, um, he's, he's been doing that and I'm happy that he's taken that on because often that's something that falls on women, um, by default and, uh, I'm always eager to have him take on more responsibilities that are, you know, related to household kids. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. My partner and I did it together. We did the, like, you take one because it's in BC, at least it feels like such a rush to get them registered. So like he did one child and I did the other and we tried to like do what we could, but, uh, so I I mean, that's like, 
swimming lessons, you know, I've heard it's like getting caught, like back in the day getting, well, maybe actually, no, that's not true. You don't, it's not even back in the day because I've heard people's experiences of trying to get Beyonce and Taylor Swift Taylor tickets. Swift. Yeah. So that is the equivalent, I think, of trying to get your kid into some classes and camps and experiences is that yeah. frantic online double laptop, you know, getting up at six o'clock in the morning to try and get the, your kid into whatever it is. And it's crazy. Yeah. Well, so I guess uh, being that we're the Stop Stressing Me Out podcast, and my first question is, what are some of the random things stressing you out this week? I'm guessing it's part of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is definitely, you know, managing a business and these camp things that start at different times and end at different times and, you know, feelings and just, you know, the 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 challenges of having um younger kids i was actually thinking about this question in advance so uh my hot list right now is uh people who in my home who leave the bathroom door open yep that is and that, that might be kind of like in the weeds but that really really bugs me yep. i have obviously washrooms serve a purpose that doesn't mean we need to see into them all the time <laughs> yep <laughs> Uh, the second thing would be, um, as a mom of two boys, again, who are four and five, uh, they are not necessarily the best at flushing the toilet. This, I guess this is a lot of like, this is bathroom related this morning. This is real parenting talk though. Yes, this is real parenting. <laughs> and then the third thing is, because just before this, I had pulled out the vacuum, walking on a floor that has like, you know, glitter, pieces Cheerios. of Play-Doh, food, uh this morning it was rainbow sprinkles you know just bits of whatever I yeah. really and uh, I'm not really a sock person so walking on that is extremely unpleasant yeah I've stepped on more lego than I would like to count it's, it's horrible yeah it's like it can be more painful than getting a, a vaccine or like an injection of some kind mm -hmm. it's piercing the wrong angle the wrong yeah. time no good. takes you out yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I first started following, I feel like so many of my guests, I find you all on Instagram and I heard about Madam Premier before you had a shop. I used to live in Calgary and, you know, people started sporting these shirts that were just absolutely fantastic. And then I was so excited to see you expand your business and open the shop and run the podcast and everything. But I'm really curious, how did you first become passionate about politics? Is this a university, pre-university uh, it goes all the way back to um, grade five, six, yeah. actually. I had an amazing um, elementary school teacher who I've actually tried to track down to thank her for this thing that she's instilled in me, um, but I, with, with no luck. I didn't grow up in a household that was political at all. I grew up, um, my parents were divorced. I lived with my mom and my sister. And, you know, the issues that we were dealing with had were not like there was just no there was no time for there was no time for politics and it wasn't you know something that that was um, a part of my life growing up because there were other things um on the on that we were dealing with but thanks to this amazing teacher who exposed me at a pretty young age to current events we would go into the library and I remember the tv being wheeled in and we would watch uh, CBC for like, you know, however long a segment, I guess, or like a, a part of it. And we would watch, we were exposed to global events 
at, you know, at that time. And I can remember just being really fascinated and into it. Um, obviously, I'm not coming from a, a political household. You know, there's not a lot you can do with with politics at a young age. That being said, I was more active in in sharing and discussing global events that I was aware of. This is obviously also pre-internet. So how we got our news was, you know, limited to TV and and newspapers. But it wasn't until, yeah, I was older and it really just stayed with me. And, mm-hmm. and then I ended up um, working in the BC legislature for the former BC liberal government for more than several years. And, and that's where I was really exposed to, you know, the operations of, of government, of politics, of volunteering in party politics during um, my time in the legislature and before um, as a youth member. And it really, you know, it was a dream job. And that really obviously influenced, you know, my work now um, in advocating for the increased participation of women in in politics at elected and unelected levels, um, because I've been in some of those spaces and I've seen the lack of representation. So Mm -hmm. that's really what drives me. Yeah. This is a side note, but fun fact, I did two years of a political science degree at uh, the University of Alberta, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, which is why I ended up switching. But like, I felt like everybody in my class, maybe this is an Alberta thing, just wanted to be like the next Stephen Harper. And I was like, this is not this is not for me, but still like hold that passion and interest in politics and current events. So I kind of made a segue, but such an interesting like subject matter. And having never been to attended university in Alberta, I've heard how more conservative leaning, I think a lot of people who get into poli sci are having, you know, gone through the BC education system from K to 12 and then attended, um, I went to Mount Royal University in Victoria. Yeah, there were not necessarily a lot of conservative views being presented. Yeah. So there, there, there were people you know, who would want, who would, who would have people wanted to be maybe probably Jack Layton. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's so funny. Cause like, uh, university of Alberta is in Edmonton, which is such an NDP stronghold. And yet so many of the people studying poli sci, like you're saying, were conservative leaning. So it was a weird mind shift for sure. So you had this interest, you're working in the BC legislature, you're wanting to see more women represented. How does that translate into the business that is Madam Premier? Right. So this was, I'll just say like, you know, if you had asked me at any point before it started, you know, if this is what, what I would be doing, I would have, you know, said that sounds really great, but you know, that's probably never going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I was after, so I moved to Alberta in 2012 to be with my now husband and took a long break from politics and from party politics. And it was, I finally got back into it in 2015 um, for the federal election at that time, volunteering, volunteering on a federal liberal campaign. And it was there that I kind of, you know, made some friends and contacts that I'm still friends with to this day. And it kind of, you know, I kind of got back into it a little bit, but I still wasn't in, you know, in the space mentally, I guess, for for party politics. Um, but there was kind of a movement at the time in the in the in the years following that election around in for women in politics in Calgary, 
And so I was a, a founding volunteer and I eventually joined the board of an organization in the city that that encourages women to run for city council. And so I was sitting on the board and this was also, so 2015 was the federal election, 2016 was uh, the American election where we saw Donald Trump win over Hillary Clinton, which was devastating for me and so many others around the world and in the U.S., particularly for Americans. And that just, you know, living, you know, adjacent to Trump and seeing what he was doing to politics was kind of the, the, the a fire as well. But it w- really started that I wanted to, and not having a background in design, I wanted to wear something that represented my values in advocating for women in politics. And so I was on this board and I did a design that ended up being, you know, the, the most, it's the, the design of Madam Premier. Um, if there was one, only one. And it says a woman's place is in council chambers, the legislature, the House of Commons and the Senate. And so I pitched it to the board because we had no money. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, like crazy idea, but you know, I, I'm, this is something I came up with. What if we, you know, put it on things and sold it and use that money to fund programming? And the board said, no. And so that was in 2018, late 2018, when I was actually pregnant with my second child. So I ended up stepping away from the board not long after that. Um, and then in 2019, um, it launched as a business just before um, the federal election that summer. And then in 2020, so when COVID was already running rampant, I was running and the, the business for the entire time up until the store opened was run from our down my downstairs guest room in the basement and so we're going through covid and i was thinking like you know i don't think i can do this here forever from my home and so i was like yeah i think i want to open a store and my husband thankfully is equally crazy and he was like (laughs) maybe he just didn't think that it would ever happen but yeah i started my alone time was uh i'd be like yeah i need to get out of the house but obviously you know i'm not going to the hang out with any people. Mm-hmm. So I would drive around the city and kind of my key areas and look for empty storefront space. Mm-hmm. And then the store opened in uh, July, 2021. And I feel like I'm speaking for myself here, but it is like a destination to go to in Calgary because I came on a business trip last year and it was like the one shop I wanted to go to in Calgary. I'm like, I've got two days. We're hitting up Madam Premier and it's just such a beautiful store and you've perfectly curated it and it just feels like that safe space to talk about something that's a challenging topic right yeah and that was definitely you know when I was sitting at home thinking like you know okay if I opened a a store space what would it look like what would it feel like and what would it do beyond being um, a space where you can come and purchase you know something that I've designed what more can it be? And I kind of feel in the way that um, these days you you have to be like a triple threat mm-hmm. to some degree. Like you can't just do one thing, especially in the age of social media, you need to, you know, be a singer, a dancer and an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of put that lens on the store as well. So it's specifically di- designed to also be an event space. 
And to have that capacity building aspect, because having, you know, worked in politics, having been in, in spaces and organizations where, you know, we advocating for different things, um, space is always an issue, but also is fundraising. So creating a space that's also a store that I get to decide how it's used, when it's used and why it's used to specifically allow it to be used for women in politics and uh, to raise money, for example, you know, because that's one of the barriers um, often to women running is lack of, uh, or, you know, networking money, those kinds of things. And so this is my kind of middle finger to anyone who, who doesn't recognize the importance of these things, the need of these things, and that you can build something very specifically and intentionally to address some of these issues. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you've done an absolutely incredible job of that. Politics. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Good. I mean, and take the, like, I feel like also this is a sidetrack, but like women struggle to take compliments. Right. And it's like, we do such hard work and we need to accept. Yeah. Anyways. So politics in general, like, oh my gosh, it's one of those topics that is so can be can be so stressful it can like raise your blood pressure like I remember around the Trump time going to my doctor and him saying like just stop reading the news like it was almost Mm. like it was a prescription from him and then I think if you think of our parents generation like there was this almost golden rule like we just don't talk about politics like you know you kind of just leave well enough alone with the world being as divisive as it is right now how do you how do you talk to people that you disagree with effectively um well I mean I come at it from thinking that we actually have probably more in common than not Mm -hmm. and I think that's pretty universal because when you talk to someone about um like if if you start even a conversation and you know think about what you can agree on and I'm talking you know um even conversations that I've had with people who are anti-vaccine, for example, there are things we definitely have in common, right? Around values of, you know, although that looks very different for the for whoever for that person on the other side of the conversation, around doing what we think is best for our family, around how what we see the role of government, for example. But there are there are always areas where we will I do find common ground with people. And so I, I try to, to, to tap into that. Also empathy, like having empathy for people. And I'm talking about even empathy in the most kind of extreme situations. So it was in June, I guess, where I, I, uh, I took part in a political event, which generated some, some outrage from a certain uh, extreme, what I would consider to be an extreme um person in the media world Mm -hmm. blogger or activist and um you know he said some not very nice things about me and it would have been really easy to be just to kind of like tear that down but I actually have empathy for him and because there has to be maybe something that underlies where where he's coming from and how he how he reacts and engages online so yeah, so common common ground, even with the people who you think you have no, no nothing in common with, and then empathy. Mm-hmm. 
it strikes me that I was recently reading Think Again by Adam Grant, and he talks about motivational interviewing as a way to like have people come together from opposite sides. And it's and the first principle is empathy, right? Like, how can you see that other person as a human being and not as a you know set of beliefs that you disagree with? Because then it's just like you're putting up that wall, right? But it's so hard to practice in the moment, and I think also in that online space, right? Because we feel less human behind a screen or, you know, just a little icon and stuff like that. Like, do you find it's easier to pra- for you to practice in some spaces versus others or? I mean, I, it's, 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 a, it's a work in progress. I don't think anyone can claim to be an expert in it mm-hmm. um, because of, you know, how there's so much that goes into those moments that, you know, maybe you've had, uh, a horrible morning with your children right or and you're just already feeling a little bit triggered so there's so much more that goes into what leads up to those really hard moments so I'm I would say it's a constant practice for me mm-hmm. to recognize and to see how, where I am myself in that moment um, and when I'm you know in a better place mentally I think I'm in a better place place to be able to respond Mm -hmm. that being said sometimes you know we're all a little bit maybe including myself too quick in certain circumstances to try and get in the quick win but again um there's always a there's always a a, a, you always have an ability to Mm de-escalate do you think that there any of this is the responsibility of how our political system is set up because I look oh, at yes because I look at the chamber you know parliament or legislature and you you watch the recordings of it and it's so antagonistic and yet you talk to people who actually work in these buildings and they say when they're not in session they're colleagues across the oh, aisle I mean- and they get along and they have things in common but that's not what we as the public are seeing oh yeah definitely I was at a stampede party last week where I was there were three people in the conversation myself two politicians from two different parties and we were having a thoughtful conversation around child care policy so yes that definitely happens unfortunately the public doesn't see it I will also say that it depends on the politician some people really are that way some people really just don't care to you know to have conversations with people who would have opposing views to them but I'd say the overwhelming majority do But I will say that the way politics is right now, and again, I credit a lot of this to um, the ramping of it, ramping up of it, coming from the election of Donald Trump in the United States, um, because a lot of what I see in Canadian politics now is some uh, version of what we've seen happen in the US. Mm -hmm. And it's something that all political parties do and are doing. And that extends from, you know, the NDP, the bloc on the federal side, liberals and conservatives. So my approach or thought on it is kind of like a pox on all of their houses um, because they're all participants in this and knowingly so. And ultimately people, us, the people will end up being the losers in an increased and increasingly um, polarized political world. Mm -hmm. Because it's this constant othering no matter which yeah. department it, it like, which uh, party it is and it it makes it harder i think to feel like you can have those conversations at, like with your friends and family and your neighbors about these topics yeah it's definitely 
really hard, but it's something that like we have to honestly be very aware and push back against because even coming out of the election that we just went through here in Alberta, which was very polarizing Mm -hmm. and, you know, having conversations with people who were like, you know, my neighbor had this, you know, lawn sign and I can't believe that, or they didn't have a lawn sign, but I know that they voted this way. And it's like, you know, now it's really, it's really difficult. I honestly think that the way politics is moving right now is that people actually, their political parties and their strategists and, you know, evil geniuses who are really good at their jobs that kind of actually want to just silo us mm-hmm. and, you know, want you to kind of create, and it's algorithms as well, to create an ecosystem where you're, you know, you're really only kind of related or relating to like-minded people. Yeah. You have to really go out of your way to to push back on that. So mm-hmm. for example even though it's not my news network of choice, I, I regularly watch Fox News mm-hmm. and I read their, I have their app on my phone and I go and I check, you know, to see what they're saying. I follow um, accounts on Twitter that I have, you know, if someone on face value would think like, you know, why is she, why is she following them? It's because I, I want to know what they're saying, how they're saying it so that I can be prepared um, and maybe share that information around what's coming because they're, they're running campaigns, they're running for school board, they're running like, you know, this, they're influencing policy. You have to be on top of that, even though you don't agree with, you know, what it is, you need to understand what people are saying across the political spectrum. Well, and I think recently on Instagram, you said something that was just like, so on the nose that, you know, the conservative party typically, you know, for all we may disagree with them, their people take action. Their people go to fundraisers, they put up the lawn signs, they, um, you know, they do all that work. Yeah. Yeah. Not just conservatives in that video specifically, I was speaking about, there's a political action group in Alberta called take back Alberta. Yeah. Um, that claims credit for, um, electing Danielle Smith, the leader of the UCP last fall. And they have, no problem teaching people how to you know be organized Mm -hmm. they fill churches and community halls with people and will share their messages and they encourage people to run for different levels of office and what they're running on is what I have a problem with Mm -hmm. and that is it's anti-LGBTQ it's anti-women it's anti-immigrant it's all of the things that they want to take us back to a time that should not have even happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not interested in going where they want to. And so countering that is a problem because predominantly what I see um, and what I hear and the conversations that I have, there's an extreme amount of apathy on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, And I completely get it. I'm really busy too. And sometimes like last night, I just wanted after my kids went to bed and my husband was out, um, I had Thai food and watched, I'm rewatching the West Wing in bed. And that was like, that's your relaxation. I know that's great. It is. Yeah. You know, so if someone had said, yeah, do you want to come to this meeting about organizing and in opposition to take back Alberta? I mean, I probably would have gone, but I also, would understand why other people were like, yeah, I'm just, my head is underwater and I can't do it. The problem is that 
those the people associated with Take Back Alberta and other um, interest groups that have extreme positions that want to roll back human rights uh, for so many people in different ways, they they rarely say no. They're always like, yeah, I can give you a small dollar donation. I can come to your event. I'll share your event on Facebook. They're highly engaged, highly motivated. And that's what we have to counter. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I think so many of us see these political parties and they're part of our identity. Do you think there's a point in the future where as a society we can get back to like focusing on platforms instead of parties or are we too far gone? I think we're too far gone. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think we're too far gone. I do think it's possible that, you know, someone will come along that might be able to get through to people, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that that's a rea- uh, that's realistic. Um, it would have to be the right person at the right time with the right message mm-hmm. and with the right support. Um, so I don't want to write it off completely, Yeah. but it's the, the systems are set up to support political parties. They're not set up, set up to support, for example, independent candidates. And so, you know, parties have all of the advantages. Um, and if there was someone to come along who wanted to, challenge the status quo it would be it would be a really tough tough fight yeah. I'm curious who do you think is the past or present best Canadian politician at working across the aisle oh um hmm. interesting question I you know I would say it's not necessarily any individual I would say it's anyone from a province in a ministerial role who has to negotiate something with a federal cabinet minister, so their equivalent. Okay. So I'm specifically thinking of someone like a Rebecca Schultz, who um, had the child care portfolio um, under the UCP under Kenny, and for example, worked with Karina Gold on the federal side to, um, to get that deal done. I think it's people, anyone, so it's not necessarily any one individual i think it's any one any combination of people mm-hmm. who can honestly just deliver results um because they can they want to get good things done for the people that they represent and they can compromise right like and we, yeah. They, yeah and they can and but not just compromise but they can try to get things specific to you know their province or territory mm-hmm. so for example the child care deal that um, Schultz negotiated for Alberta had some different things in it from other places and I think that um, that's that's a good thing because you know a one-size-all cookie cutter approach to anything that's being negotiated I mean Canadian provinces and territories are just also uniquely different um, so I think that's always a good thing. So honestly, I think anyone who can work with someone across the aisle that can just get things done. So that's not really a complete answer to your question, but you know, but even even this week there was a, a premier's a premier's meeting and there was collaboration or you know an a, a agreement um, on from Western premiers. Um, so David E B from BC, who's an NDP premier, uh, our newly reelected UCP. Premier Danielle Smith 
Scott Moe, who's definitely uh, conservative, and uh, Heather Stephenson, who's also conservative leaning. But you know, there's the the one NDP premier in the mix. (laughs) But they were they all they all said, for example, you know, um, because there was a port strike that just ended. Yeah. Um, at the port of Vancouver, and they all, you know, their their unanimous message to um, to the federal government was like, you need to, res- this needs to end, it needs to get resolved now. And you know, the federal government received that message. The federal labor minister Seamus O'Regan was like, yeah, I don't think the two sides are far enough away to justify this, the ongoing strike. And yesterday they came to an agreement. So it is possible. Yeah. When, um, when I think when the time is right, when the issue is right, COVID is another example, right, of different levels of government working together. Yeah. So I think it's in those toughest moments, actually, that we can see sometimes the greatest work being done. Yeah, I love it. Women in politics in particular, right? Like you're a big advocate for this. And, and what's your advice for people who are, whether wanting to run or women who are just wanting to be, who are interested in politics, wanting to share their view, wanting to volunteer. What's your advice for them? Because I think so many are are shying, shy away from it, given like the toxic online culture, right? And the, the mm-hmm. abuse that they receive, or like, I know for myself, even like I've wanted to be more of a supporter beyond, you know, giving my financial donation, but I'm like, I don't know that I'm brave enough to show up on people's doorsteps and like potentially there be confrontational conversations. Like, What's your advice for women? Well, I mean, not everyone is, you know, going to want to be a door knocker and that's Mm -hmm. fair. You know, there's other softer ways maybe um, than, you know, walking up to someone's door and, and, you know, asking them how you're going, how they're going to be voting. So A, identify what party or candidate, you know, you're aligned with. I think that's the most important thing. And then um, just reach out and say, you know, I'm interested in learning more about, you know, what you're working on, or maybe, you know, is there an event coming up, or, you know, kind of like a volunteer event, maybe going and, you know, there's no ask, right, other than just showing up, and then you can meet some, some people who you might have something in common with, and, and see where it goes from there. So I would think of it more of like, you know, dating in a way. Mm -hmm. So find out if you have a connection. And then just, you know, slowly work your way in, you know, there's even other things like, so for example, say you've, you've found your person, the candidate that you really agree with, want to see elected, um, go to the campaign or go to them and say, you know what, I, you know, I want to introduce you to some, some people who might be able to support you as well. So then it looks like maybe you're hosting a coffee party in your home Mm -hmm. or in your backyard. And, you know, there's, there are so many different ways to be involved. It's not just door knocking. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think um, a little bit tied into what we were saying about like your party and your identity. And maybe I heard this from you a couple of years ago, but uh, wherever I heard it, the best advice I heard on voting was that you don't have to love absolutely everything about a person, but it's like, it's like getting on a bus. You just want to get on a bus going, you know, closest to where you want to go. Was that you I heard this from? Maybe, probably. (laughs) It sounds like, sounds very familiar. But yeah, um, I definitely, yeah, I was sharing more of those messages during the last federal election. Um, I vote differently all the time. And I think it's absolutely okay for people to vote differently all the time, depending on, you know, what's happening and what you're passionate about. Um, 
So I'll even share. So in the late, after I moved, left BC, um, and I was like, I'm free of provincial politics. At the time, I actually joined the federal conservative party. And not with the intention of, you know, becoming like, I don't know, it was just, you know, where I was at the time coming out of it. And then moving to Alberta, and I, I thought that's where I was. Um, and then the 2015 election happened, and there were some um, policies that were put out um, that were really odious to me, and I found extremely despicable. And I ended up volunteering and working like full time on a federal liberal campaign. So I, the idea that any person has to be tied to some kind of ideology or whatever party or label um, for their entire lifetime to me is is outdated there are still a lot of people who will be like yeah my family's conservative or ndp and you know that's the way we've voted for you know however many generations like break the cycle you don't have to you don't have to do that if something happens i even just saw um something online from a man who was i guess he i, I don't know exactly what his he i think he was really involved in a provincial conservative party out east um, and the federal conservative party, but it, it might've actually even been in New Brunswick. And they just put forward this really horrible bill that would put kids at risk to some degree and force them to possibly come out to, to parents who may not be supportive of, of that. Mm -hmm. And that was his red line. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to be involved in this movement anymore. This is the problem I have with it. Honestly, more people need to do that. Yeah. That being said in politics, Loyalty is one of the most valued commodities. Yeah. Your entire life to some degree revolves around, can revolve around that identity, mm -hmm. depending on how deep you are in it. And you can lose friends. You can lose opportunities. It can be really risky, but I don't think that should stop people from doing what they think is right. Mm -hmm. This is where I struggle when it comes to... Um federal elections though in Canada is that it for me it often feels like that strategy play of like liberal and NDP right that like the strategic call of which party has more of a chance to get in often I think a lot of people are making that decision of like they might be more NDP leaning but they'd rather liberal get in over a conservative party like it sometimes feels like you're playing this this game that like you have zero control over all I mean you have the control of making a vote but you feel like you're kind of rolling the dice with it which I guess you always are when voting but yeah I mean and um you can vote strategically you can vote where your heart is there's all kinds of like ways you can vote um I do definitely there's kind of this you know specifically in, in the field or area of women in politics um there's kind of a what I think is kind of a dangerous thing happening which is you know we don't want to see too many qualified women running against each other because you know that's you know we want to see this one person get elected or you don't want to do what's called splitting the vote which mm -hmm. means if there's a third party a third candidate and they take enough enough share away of the vote from one person that this other person gets elected honestly it's a dream scenario that you have the difficult choice of choosing between many different qualified people yeah women or otherwise and yes vote splitting I do believe in it and uh, there's some people that don't I, I do think it's real but 
you are on a slippery slope when you are telling someone not to run. Yeah. Because, you know, it might interfere with your desired outcome. Um, I think that's anti-democratic. Run a better campaign. Run like, you know, if that if you're if you're running against that person, what are you going to do to win? Right. What are you going to do to to make sure that that's, you know, what actually happens? But yeah, that's, I'd say, somewhat controversial. Yeah. (laughs) I know we've got limited time left. So I think one of the things I want to chat to you about before we wrap up is finding reputable media sources. So I think if we want to have better conversations with people, if we want to be more thoughtful in how we talk about politics and the issues close to our heart, a lot of it comes down to what we're consuming, right? And like you're saying, we get stuck in these like echo chambers, but like, how do you source? What What's to you reputable media? How do you source your information? It sounds like you go to all sides of things. What should the average person do to feel like they're consuming correct factual information? <laughs> Harder than well, it sounds. I mean, honestly, and especially considering I, we haven't yet really gone through the consequences of, I think it's Bill C- C-18 federally, which um, was a, a bill designed to have social media p- companies pay media for the content that, you know, is shared on their platforms. So some social media companies, for example, in Canada have said that they'll stop, they'll, they'll start blocking links. So what small media companies, as well as the large ones are saying, you need to come to us directly. So that means getting the the apps or going directly to the websites of those media sources. So going to the, going to cbc.ca, going to the National Post, the Toronto Star, the Calgary Sun, you know, smaller, smaller independent news sites, um, because they're going to be cut off in this. And they don't have the revenue streams that the larger ones do. So, you know, if it's the New York Times or the Washington Post or or wherever you want to get your news, you'll you'll need to go directly to them. I think until maybe this gets sorted out a little bit more. Be very wary. I actually I actually had a conversation related to this yesterday, where um, I was in the store and I have um, the we were talking about TikTok, and these two women shared that. They know someone who was like, oh, you know, I learned this, I I heard this story or whatever. And they were like, oh, where did you hear it? And they said, oh, from TikTok. That's, you know, that's something we really need to be careful about. Not just for ourselves, but I'll also say for our children, specifically even in the area of boys related to the seeming, the proliferation of male chauvinists Mm -hmm. who are you know disguising their content to some degree as like news or information or entertainment and then sliding in all of this really odious disgusting misogynistic stuff so you know check facebook and email forwards are not you know the source i can remember i was actually asked by someone and this was this predates it becoming the weird phenomenon that it is now but someone in, in my world asked me, he was like, Sarah, I heard this thing and I'm just wondering if it's if you heard of it's heard of it or if it's true or not. He was like, I heard this story. Uh, someone sent me an email saying that there are kids who identify as cats. I heard and, about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was like, 
And it took me literally, I was standing in front of him and I Googled it and was like, yeah, this isn't what you like. This isn't the thing that you think it is. This isn't, you know, and I was like, you know, you, you could have Googled it too, Yeah. but this is a person who doesn't watch the news, doesn't read the media, but someone sent him an email forward and he took it to be accurate. That is so dangerous. Don't do that. Yeah double check (laughs) yeah check from multiple sources yeah well yeah and because I mean you can prove I mean I I, again I've you know I had a this is a different person um a woman who came into the store who wanted to convince me personally that her COVID vaccine had given her cancer and you know the conversation eventually I you know I I discovered that she self-diagnosed based on things on the internet. You know, if I was to Google tired, run down, you know, my eyes are dry, you know, whatever I'm experiencing right now, presently, the air's a little bit smoky. So like, you know, my throat is a little bit, you know, I could diagnose myself with all kinds of things again. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, that doesn't mean I have that. Yeah. Um, so you would go to a doctor in the same way that you can read something online just because it's online doesn't make it true. Go to the go to the go to the source. Yeah. Well, and it's that psychology piece, right, that we're more likely to believe the negative of something as opposed to the positive or the empathetic view view of it. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What is your favorite thing in politics at the moment? Oh, what do you love to see? Um, love to see more women getting elected. So this week was a great week because Olivia Chow was sworn in as the yeah. new mayor of Toronto. So I love to see women running and winning. The key yeah. being winning. I love rumin- women running, uh, but winning is where you can make the change. Yeah. If you had to pick one of your favorite like news or media source on politics, what is it? Oh, I know. It's like your favorite child. What is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, oh, probably the site that I go to the most is The Guardian for, out of okay. the UK. But again, I do make an effort to check other things. So my, my second would probably be Fox. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Best uh, playlist for when you're uh, extremely overwhelmed. What is the song that helps you? Oh, or you're not um, a music person. I mean, it took it became a little bit. Uh, what is it called? That Katy Perry song, "You're Gonna Hear Me Roar." roar. For Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was her um, a part of her campaign. That song is always good to kind of like, um, you know, it's boppy. Um, but then it kind of took on a different meaning when I watched um, the series about WeWork. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was his theme song and that I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can't yeah, it's great that we, you know, we have we're using this maybe a little bit differently. But there yeah, that one uh, I'm also a big fan of the Chicks, yeah. formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, and their their last album has some really good feminist anthems on it. So sometimes I'll, that's probably one also my go-to. Awesome. I haven't actually listened to that album, so I'm going to go check it's it out. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, there's one song that is about one of their now ex-husbands. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's, it's slightly cathartic. 
I said I say that being still married to my husband. I was like, Earl has to die. No, that's from a long no. time ago. <laughs> no, this is uh, yeah. You should definitely check yeah. it out if you haven't Sounds heard good. it. And yeah. the top thing that you do to manage your own stress? Uh, medication. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, that is definitely a part of my regime or regimen. So medication, regular check-ins with my doctor, trying to, you know, channel my many outraged moments into something um, productive. Um, but honestly, the, the, my biggest challenge is managing the emotions that I have and reacting and responding to my children. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. We've loved having you on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Victoria. It was great. Thank you, Sarah, again, so much for joining us on the podcast. I definitely learned a lot from it and it had me reflect on how challenging I personally found 2020 to 2022 in terms of talking with people I disagreed with. Um, because like like she said, COVID was such and continues to be in some ways such a polarizing topic. But ultimately, we all wanted to be safe. We all wanted you know, to keep one another healthy. We just had different viewpoints on how to get there. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But I hope you had some takeaways in how you can have these challenging conversations and how to better inform yourself going forward. Like I said at the top of the episode, next week we are kicking off our brand new season all on workplace well-being. It is specifically geared to how to help teams and individuals stress less at work? What are some of the policies and programs and shifts that we can make to build stronger, more engaged, psychologically safe teams? So if you are a leader of people, whether formally or informally, and you want to help them be less stressed and more engaged, this, this season is entirely built for you. What about if you're listening and you're like, hey, I'm an individual contributor. I think you'll still get a lot out of this season as well, and it will help you think differently about how you engage with the programs and policies that maybe already exist or what to ask for in your next conversations with your leader in your employee engagement surveys so that you get what you need out of the workplace. I want to make it clear going into this season, I go into this season with the full belief and faith that we are all trying to do the best that we can with the skills and the resources and abilities that we have. But recognizing some of us don't have those skills, resources, or abilities, which is why I am bringing the experts to you. So I cannot wait for next uh, next week to kick off the brand new season. I do hope you hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this and we will see you or we will, you will hear us next week. Take good care.